What's up, everyone? It's the love, the jam, the podcast coming to you as always with Rob. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing pretty well, actually. I just came back from playing tennis for the first time in a few months. It was really cool to get some exercise, play a competitive sport, not suck at it. Uh, Overall, a nice morning. Uh, Sometimes, when I was a kid, I never would have thought this, but sometimes it can be nice to get up early, you know, get the day started. We talk about tennis. We also have Sabrina on the line. What's up, Sabrina? You guys know Sabrina from Clips Nation. She also does some stuff on Silver Screen and Roll, Diet Magazine. She's pretty good. How are you doing, Sabrina? I'm doing well. Um, I do not like getting up early in the morning. So uh, this is the first thing I'm doing today. Yeah. I, I worked a night shift yesterday, and I'm waking up oh, okay. to do this. Yeah. So, but I got a little <laughs> bit of a nap during my night shift, luckily, which rarely happens. And now I'm doing this. So I'm talking about the Clippers. So, the Clippers played a game yesterday as well, 113 to 105. They lost to the Golden State Warriors in what was a very competitive game, the most competitive game of the series. There were a lot of things that happened in this game. Probably merits the most conversation of any game in the series outside of, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes in game two. The Clippers look pretty, you know, pretty bad, honestly, aside from Shea Gillis-Alexander. The media will, will talk about this game like, man, the Clippers played well and they still lost. That's how good the Warriors are. No, they, they didn't. Shea Gillis-Alexander played really well. And the rest of the team were either average or bad. Uh, Shea had 25 points, 9 to 15 from the field, 3 of 5 from 3. He's pretty much my favorite person in the world. <laughs> um, yeah. But the rest of the team, Lou and Gallo, uh, we can start with you, Sabrina. What did you feel about this game yesterday? I, I'm like you. I, I, I didn't think the Clippers played tremendously well, but I do think they I mean, played better than they have, you know, in games one and three. So that's at least a step up. Mm-hmm. And I was so impressed with Shea Gildas Alexander. Uh, I mean, like there were times where he seemed like the best guard on the floor when obviously Clay Thompson was on the bench, but. <laughs> <laughs> he was very, very impressive. And even if, uh, you know, the Clippers end up losing the series in five, it's it's moments like these that you can point to in the offseason. Like, this is what you're coming to join, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, Rob, what do you think about my, uh, my best friend, Shay? <laughs> uh, Shay was awesome. I think just the way he came out and set the tone for the team uh, on both ends of the court was super impressive. I thought – individually um he had some of his best plays of the season as well when he hit that reverse um layup around Draymond Green in the third quarter and uh when he hit the the little pull-up jumper over Steph after some iso dribble moves not necessarily the most efficient basketball but it's the kind of basketball that quote-unquote stars play and it's something we really haven't seen that much from Shea this year and to know that he has that in his bag against honestly a pretty solid defender in Steph Curry um, is really impressive, and he keyed that third quarter on him and Landry Shamit. He was really good all game. Uh, he didn't really do much in the fourth, but that's more because of the Clippers' other failings than really because of him, I think. Uh, so he was really impressive. I thought the third quarter might have been the best they've played this entire season, just in one quarter of basketball, uh, considering the level of opponent. Though the last minute or two kind of ruined it. Um, yeah. The bulk of that third quarter was excellent basketball, the rest of the game, uh, you know, they were fine. The fourth quarter it was was very rough. Um, the Warriors had their defense set and the death lineup, and the, the Clippers could not do anything. But Shea was great. Um, I thought his defense was much better than it had been the previous two games. He made some really nice passes, too. 
which Gallo, of course, flubbed. Um, but it was it was a fun game. It was really fun. That third quarter was one of the loudest I've ever heard Staples Center at a Oh, man. The third quarter was so great. I love the Staples fans, by the way. They've been really good this these two games. I expected the Warriors to be out in droves. They were out there for sure. They definitely were loud when they could. But it was not nothing like the regular season games. The Clippers fans have been representing the third quarter. That third quarter when Shamit hit that three, next to Shamit hitting the three in Golden, in, uh, in Oakland, it's probably the best moment of like the Clippers season. Everybody got yeah. so hyped. Um, yeah. Pat was screaming, as he always says. Shea was telling the crowd, crowd to stand up. It was a classic Shamit shot. Um, really just a great a great spot. Oh, it wasn't the Shamit shot. It was a dunk, actually, that Trez had down low when uh, the exactly. Clippers were up five. It was, it was just a great moment. Um, it's going to be a moment that I remember forever. Shea, of course, was just a highlight reel. It was just like his season in in a game. It, all the good things about what he does. He was so fantastic. Um, just all his little pet moves in the lane, just the layups the, with his the, with his reverse hand going to the rim and the, the nice little Rondo fake on Bogut and all the good things, man. Shea also hit one three or five from three. A couple of really confident looking threes too he was he really set the tone uh, he was great we'll talk about him more but two people we need to talk about a little bit too were lou williams and daniel gallinari and not for the same reasons we're talking about shea yeah um gallo went five for 20 and he yeah. had a couple of baskets in that last minute where nothing mattered mm-hmm. uh, i don't you know people are, are ragging on gallo they want him traded blah 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 clips nation is up in arms uh, so is reddit <laughs> i mean uh, it's it's really tough because Gallo has been so great this whole season. We knew this was going to be tough um, for Gallo, but he's had looks, man. Rob, what do you think about Gallo? I mean, this is just this was really his worst, probably his worst game as a Clipper. That was a really, really. It was rough. I mean, I thought his really last bad. game was his worst game as a Clipper, and oh, I think gosh, this one was right, worse. Right. Um, oh, it was bad. I mean, I think you know I broke this down with the little video article I did last week. Um, you know, the, the Warriors are doing some stuff. They're really – they were sending multiple guys at him when he gets the ball in the post on mismatches. Uh, you know, Draymond is obviously a very tough interior defender. He's able to go straight up uh, without fouling a lot, and it's really preventing Gallo from getting to the line as much. But ultimately, he's just missing shots. Yep. Like, he's missed so many shots this series, which are shots that Gallo has made all season, and he's just missing them. It's really unfortunate that – his coldest stretch of the season has happened over four games in the playoffs and, you know, certainly credits the Warriors. They played him really well, but ultimately he's just been bad and he's just missed a lot of shots. I think there were so many just instances you could point to yesterday of wide open threes or his little fadeaways from the mid post area where all season, those were cash in the bank. You knew Gallo had those locked down. I mean, he's one of the best three point shooters in the NBA, 45% on decent volume. And in this series, he's shooting what, like, you know, 18% or, or less. It's awful. Yeah, it make any um, sense. And yeah, it's just, he's been brutal and he really hasn't made up for it much in any other way either, which is kind of what makes it worse. Uh, he's had some bad turnovers. I think his, his defense was better yesterday. I think the Clippers as a whole played better defense. Mm-hmm. I think his was certainly better, but it's it's been a very disappointing series from him. I don't think it really matters in the grand scheme of things, like you mentioned, in terms of people wanting to trade him. I don't think this will or should affect his trade value much. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think the Warriors are a bad matchup, and he's had a bad stretch. But 
it's really too bad because it's ending the season on a really sour note for him after what was his career best season, like a real redemption tour. I, I just, I really hope he comes out and plays well in game five, even if the Clippers lose. I really, really hope that Gallo has a good game. Same. This really isn't blooding my love for Gallo. He's been so great. Sabrina, what are your takes on Gallo? Yeah, I am. Um, the thing with Gallo was, like Rob said, some of the shots that he was taking weren't shots that you were disappointed that he was taking. There was the normal three is normal mid-range game that he's been able to excel with throughout the course of the season. And they looked, a lot of the shots yesterday looked good going up at least earlier in the game. And then there was one play in the, I want to say in the first quarter, we had a three that just tapped out all over the rim and it was just oh, yeah. kind of night that he was having. And I realized, you know, in the postseason caliber of defenders is better. It's just, I don't think that the success of his jumper is uh, entirely reflective of the defense. I just think that he's, he's having a bit of a cold stretch and I'm not, I'm not terribly disappointed in the way he's playing just because sometimes the jumper doesn't fall. And I do think that he brought that effort onto the defensive end. Like he played relatively good ISO defense when he was switched onto the guards on Golden State. But the the problem with his game is that I think Rob alluded to this as well is that he's just not getting to the foul line. Like every time he goes to the rim, he's just getting straight up stiffed by Bogut or Draymond Green, and there's just nothing he can do about it. But the way the Clippers finished around the rim as a whole was just atrocious yesterday, and that I think is directly attributable to how well the Warriors defend the paint. And that's something that we haven't been able to adjust for quite yet. But, I I mean, Gallo's been so good all season. And the way he's been playing, he's, I didn't think he was trying to force too much up until the fourth quarter. And yeah. it wasn't as disappointing for me as watching, like, say, Lou Williams. Because just like, I mean, one or two of the jumpers go down. And it's, it's just a, a different feel about the night for Gallinari. Mm-hmm. And, and just uh, jumping off your Lou Williams uh, thread right there, Lou was two of ten. His one of his shots he made was the hardest, one of the hardest shots he hit all season. That fadeaway from the corner, um, but that's a typical Lou Williams type of thing. He had a bunch of easy kind of mid range shots that he would normally hit. Uh, Sabrina, since you were talking about it already, was this just a case of Lou just missing some shots? I, I know he only took ten shots, and a lot of that's attributed to Golden State. But, man, I felt like he had some shots that he couldn't have made and he just, just wasn't his night. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it sometimes over the course of the regular season where Lou tries to take over in the fourth quarter and he doesn't quite have it. But for some reason, those I mean, I know why. Those games just don't stick in our memory because he has so many other important moments for the Clippers where he's brought them back. You know, that bench unit has right. brought them back where he's helped them close the game. Like he has a big shot against Brooklyn or those, you know, free throws against Memphis and all all sorts of things that have defined the season. It's been an excellent season. It's just, I feel like when Lou doesn't have it in the fourth quarter, the Clippers don't try to get something else going. Like Rob talked about that stretch at the end of the third quarter where, you know, the Clippers are playing the best basketball of the year. Arguably they go up by five and then Shea gets taken out for Lou. And again, Lou just didn't have it. And he didn't acknowledge that he didn't have it and just kept playing the same way as he does assuming that a shot was going to go in and it wasn't, he didn't make as many free throws as he should have. And it's so disheartening to watch that happen when you know that there are other capable ball handlers on the floor, but the offense is going to run in one particular fashion. And that was the most difficult part of the game to watch for me. Absolutely. When Shea got taken out of the game, I felt like, all right, Shea got us through this stretch, you know, this stretch where the Warriors always beat us with our starters in, in the beginning of the third, 
You know, Shea got us through this little stretch, five, you know, six or six or seven minutes in, up by five points. Come on, bench. Come on, Lou. We just need a little bit of a cushion here so we can hold on to the fourth quarter. And then everything fell apart instantly. And a lot of that has to be blamed on Lou and his ineffectiveness. And his ineffectiveness, unfortunately, trickles over to Montrez and then trickles over to the bench in general. Um, Rob, I mean, Lou, it's just just a tough yeah, game for him. It was a real rough game for him. Yeah, I think Sabrina kind of alluded to this in terms of other capable ball handlers. But oh, even outside no. of Shea, Pat Beverly was great. Yesterday. All right. It's true. Um, it's true. He hit, you know, three of his threes. He had 12 points on nine shots, 10 rebounds. He yep. was everywhere on the glass. Mm-hmm. Had some really nice passes. In that third quarter, a lot of the ball movement was because of him. He was doing really well with driving and kicking and just moving the ball around. He played great. Yeah. And then in the fourth and later third, the ball was not in his hands. It wasn't in Shea's hands. It was only in Lou's hands. And again, like, you know, people get upset at Doc. They're like, why don't you bench Lou Williams? Why don't you yell at Lou Williams? Like, Lou Williams has carried this team in the fourth quarter a lot this year. And we do always forget, or, you know, it's easier to forget the games where he doesn't, as Sabrina also mentioned. But there was just no way Doc was going to bench Lou Williams. And really, he shouldn't have. I think, right. you know, some kind of talk where he's like, look, you, you, the shot is not dropping tonight. You can see it just by the free throws. I mean, he was 7 of 10. Um, you like you need to share the ball a little bit more. Like let Pat run something, let Shea run something, and it just either that message wasn't conveyed or it wasn't you know it didn't go through to Lou because it was just the last seven eight minutes was just Lou and Gallo taking turns isoing and running pick and rolls that went nowhere, and it was just really unfortunate. Um, he also had that horrible. It was all, his only turnover, which is surprising. I thought he had several, but basically the game ceiling turnover. Oh, Awful. He had this really bad drive that was going nowhere against Steph, and there was time to reset it, but instead he tried throwing this cross-court pass, went right to the Warriors, KD drained a three a few minutes, like a few seconds later, and it, that was game. Mm-hmm. Um, it was his only turnover, which is surprising, but it was a really costly one, really bad one. And yeah, he was just, it was bad. It was a really bad Lou game. Um, and that combined with the Gallo game, as, as Doc said in the post-game presser, it's really tough for the Clippers to win when those two guys aren't playing well. And it's even tougher when it's against the Warriors in the playoffs. Um, but I thought the Clippers, like, you know, defensively, they played well. Steph was really off. Um, even though Durant had 33, I thought they did a really good job contesting him. And he was just hitting great shots. Um, you know, he's yeah. a great offensive player. And he was hitting really tough looks. I thought J. Michael, uh, J. Michael played him well. Uh, mm-hmm. And also, J. Michael should have played more minutes. Um, he only played 22. I thought starting him was a really smart move by Doc. I've been thinking it for a couple days. I thought it played out really well. I thought his defense was good. He only took two shots, but I just thought he played very good, competent basketball, and he only mm-hmm. got 22 minutes. Um, you know, I could bitch about Wilson Chandler getting minutes till the end of eternity. Um, Agreed. Getting 12 minutes is just – it's just not good. Like – It really isn't. I thought he even played okay in that first half for him, but he's just not as good as the rest of the players in their rotation. And the Clippers just aren't good enough against this Warriors team to run a 10-man rotation. So, you know, I thought a lot of those minutes should have just gone to Jermichael Green um, and Shea. I mean, Shea only played 31, which is a decent amount. But considering how good he was, you know, 31 is – I guess he had foul trouble in the first half, but – I don't know. It was a frustrating game. Like, I don't 
I think the Clippers had a great game plan. I think they executed well, but I don't necessarily think Doc's adjustments in game and rotations were as sharp as they have been at other times this year too. It was a rough game. Um, what did you think about, I guess this is to both of you, the Jerome Robinson minutes. I know everybody was stunned when that <laughs> happened. And then Doc looked like a genius, at least in that first stretch. He really didn't do anything in the second half. But um, I mean, I know Sabrina and I were, were in a severe state of bewilderment. I don't want it to happen again. I don't care. <laughs> Make it stop was pretty much as soon as, as soon as he made some plays. I was like, oh, no, this is going to empower Doc to play him in game five. <laughs> oh, God. And um, Clipper Twitter, of course, were, were raving just like they did about his back-to-back eight-point games, which really solidified his position as an all-time scorer for many Clipper fans. But <laughs> but uh, Jerome, Jerome looked good. He looked good. He made some, he made some plays. He had a three. He had that awful um, hesitation on one of those open threes he should have taken. Which oh, yeah. What was hilarious is, is Doc, after the game, was like, I put Jerome in because I know he's going to shoot. I'm like, really? What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> is that, what do you mean? Is that no, the same he's... Jerome Robinson? He passed up like three open threes and, and decent mid-range looks today. I was like, I actually liked that he didn't do that on some of them because I thought he looked very composed and calm. But, like, he passed up good looks. and like, he's supposed to be a good shooter. <laughs> he needs to take those. Um, <laughs> But his he he played really good defense. I thought at least he in did. isolation. Um, he did. No, I wasn't looking too closely at like the overall film. Like obviously I was there. I couldn't break down like how he was playing in relation to the help and rotations and stuff. But I thought just in terms of one on one and staying in front of his man, I thought he played really good defense. So that was that was definitely impressive. Yeah, Sabrina, any takes on Jerome? <laughs> it's funny. I'm looking through my notes from the game, and every time Jerome does something, it's just with a question mark right next to it. That's why I can't quite believe what's happening. <laughs> it's funny, when they when they brought him into the game, you know, Doc has this habit of bringing in Sundarius Thornwall for late quarter defensive possessions. And then Jerome comes in and was just like, does he remember that, like, we're on defense and not on offense? And, like, he can't just chuck up a shot right now. Mm. And then he, he had just that terrible start to his stint because he went too early. And then that gave Golden State an extra possession. And then they fouled on that possession. So it was an additional two points. Yeah, and you thought like, okay, that that was a terrible experiment. He's not going to come back. And then he, you know, starts the second quarter and flashes all these ball skills that I I wasn't aware that he still had. Mm-hmm. And even though Doc said like, you know, you like like Rob said, I thought it was ridiculous that he was praising him for taking the open shots because that's not what he did. Uh, I do think it made sense for him at the start of his you know uh, stretch just to try to get more comfortable by driving into the lane because I wonder if they just like didn't have a scouting report on him, you know, the Warriors because he got into the paint fairly easily. Like there was mm-hmm. that one little uh, pick and roll that he ran with Trez. That was just right. beautiful. Really. Right. Right. And, <laughs> and then he even like got that dunk in transition off of that steal. Um, Man. There was just so many things that Jerome did that you don't necessarily associate with the type of player that he was. Um, but I, it was just so surprising more than anything. So like, we decided to play a 10 man rotation one. And that too, that this was the 10th guy Doc settled on. And he actually made a positive impact in his minutes, which is just remarkable. Like, I, again, like the, the Clippers are not supposed to win the series. And so if you're going to go down swinging, like might as well go down swinging with the young guys. And Jerome got it done, you know? I, like, I just, I don't know what to say about Jerome. So I'm still <laughs> kind of stunned about the whole sequence of events that the Jerome dunking for like, what was it? A 10 nothing run to tie it at 35. Yeah. It was just like really surreal. Like it was about to like pass out laughing. It, it was uh, it was pretty incredible. 
I mean, I think we've talked about this all pod, um, Rob and Sabrina. I'm sure you've noticed too, as you kind of met, uh, mentioned in your commentary right there. Jerome is best with the ball in his hands. Um, he's been doing that all year for Agua Caliente. He's much less of a shamit and more of a, a playmaker. People have compared him to Lou. That's incorrect right now. But if you had to compare him to a Clipper, he is a more of a playmaking guard. He runs a decent pick and roll, has a decent mid-range, can shoot from three, but it's not, not going to run off screens. I don't think this has changed anybody's opinion of Jerome. No, I mean, is he? Is this? Yeah, right. (laughs) I mean, he's still a rookie, right? Like, he's a rookie. We haven't seen enough out of him, you know. Like, like, it's just too early to have him. But we should have seen more than this through the course of a season. I mean, Shamit came in like gangbusters and started immediately. I think that's the biggest knock against Jerome is that you know people have been on Clips Nation have been you know saying all year like you know Jerome hasn't got a shot. You know, he hasn't really gotten extended minutes. He's been confined to the G League. And, you know, the fact that the Clippers brought in a rookie, wasn't on the team, had no practice reps with them, anything. And he was starting within three games. And closing games, I think the very first game, because it was a Celtics comeback, he closed that out because of his shooting. Mm -hmm. If Jerome Robinson was showing stuff in practice and in his brief minutes, like Landry Shamit was, he would have gotten minutes. you know, I think, like Sabrina said, it is too early to have an opinion, really. But it's not great that he was so quickly surpassed by another rookie at his position, uh, even if they played differently and the Clippers kind of used, you know, could have needed more of what Shamit gave than what Jerome has. But it's just, it's, it is too early to really definitively say anything about him. But I'm not really taking much away from 11 minutes in this game. I thought he played very well. Um, you know, he had some very nice minutes against <laughs> the Warriors. And again, the defense I think is probably the most important for me because my worry with him was if he's not going to score, like what is he going to do? And if he can be even a decent defender, he'll be able to get minutes in the rotation next year, I think. So that is definitely a plus. Again, just 11 minutes. But I think he's shown flashes all year of being fairly quick laterally. Yeah. um, You know, if he can end up being a decent defender, even if the offensive game is never really what the Clippers might have wanted or what he was projected to be, then he could be a pretty nice player. Uh, But right now, he's just way behind where Shamit and Shea are. And just at this point, I don't even know if people are kidding when I see stuff about, like, Jerome's, like, a future superstar. And, like, I just... I don't think some people are kidding, which is the very scary thing. But um, yeah, you know, uh, really good for him. I was I was really happy for him that he played so well. Definitely the highlight of the season. You, mm-hmm. Go ahead, Sabrina. I think what you said about that, the way that he and Shaman are used, though, is fairly instructive because, like, the thing with the minutes with the Clippers guards is like they don't really have any threes, right? So it's it's just so hard to get all of their guards sufficient minutes and still be able to play a decent defensive lineup against this Golden State team, which has such big wings. Because the Clippers, like, literally, other than, I guess, maybe Garrett Temple, don't have a single player who I would classify as a wing. Right. And that's why the minutes distribution, I find it hard to blame that on Doc too much. Like, how much is he going to play Shaman and Shea and Beverly and Lou? Just because all of those guys probably deserve 30-plus minutes and they just aren't available for all four of them. So it's hard to complain too much about who got so much playing time because like, I mean, how much are you really going to play Beverly 
I mean, obviously he starts at the three nominally next to Grant, but it's just, it's so hard to feel comfortable on defense when you have so many small players out there mm-hmm. that I'm okay with the distribution that's been happening because I mean, like even Temple gets minutes and then Jerome got those minutes. So it's the way the roster is constructed does not help him out. It doesn't do him any favors. Yeah, definitely. We've, we definitely talked about this all season. Beverly, Shea, Shamit, Lou, especially the second half of the season, these guys are all 30 plus type minute players. And with that being the case and with, especially with Jerome now looking like a playmaking guard. There's just no space in it for him in the lineup with guys like Lou and Shea in there who do it better than him. And mm-hmm. that's really the toughest thing about Jerome. Now there's an idea that, you know, what if we don't bring back Beverly or what if we sign Beverly to one year or yada, 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 then there's going to be some guard, guard minutes for him then. But as of now, assuming we bring back Beverly, which the Clippers would be crazy not to, if we do, there's just no room for for Jerome to play consistently on this team. Like Rob said, if he plays good defense, there might be some, some, you know, spot minutes for him. But it's not going to be anything like even 20-plus minutes. So it's just tough. You have to be very patient with him. He has shown flashes. He does seem like he can be a competent player in this league. But he also needs to work on his confidence. He needs to work on getting to the right spots. The good thing about him is he does move his feet really well. I think that's one of the more surprising things this season is the fact that on defense, he can move his feet, but he can be pushed around. He's just not as strong as a bigger guard that he tends to guard. Um, but, yeah, this was a, this was a encouraging game. One thing I From will Jerome say to another one of our rookies. Yeah. about mm-hmm. Jerome is that – What we've seen in the past few years from the NBA draft, and this is something I'm going to write about um, sometime between the end of the season and the NBA draft, even though the Clippers just have two really late draft picks. I love the draft and writing about the draft and talking about the draft. I think it's fascinating. (laughs) We've seen in the past few years that age and upside aren't necessarily maybe as correlated as they once were, or maybe they never really were, but we've seen guys who played in college for a long time come to the NBA and show a lot of upside, which you usually associate with these guys who are one and done, or maybe played for two years. But guys like Pascal Siakam, who came in when he was 23, he's made huge leaps each year he's been in the NBA. Right. You know, 25 now, I think. I think he might turn 26 this summer. And, like, he could still get a lot better. I don't think there's a real ceiling for him yet. Um, you know, a guy like Derek White, who's been incredible in the playoffs for – for the Spurs, he was he went to junior college first before going to, I think, Colorado State. He also was drafted as, like, a 23-year-old. He was decent his rookie year and then exploded this past year, and he looks even better now in the playoffs. Like, he could still continue to get a lot better. There are other examples, which I'm not really thinking of at the moment. But, like, you know, Jerome Robinson is still young enough that he can improve a lot. I think people are like, well, he was a three-year college player. He was supposed to be ready – he didn't get that many minutes this year. If he doesn't get that many minutes next year, like he'll be a bust. I think that is misleading because I think there are plenty of players who can continue to improve into their mid-20s. I think even for much more established players, you saw Paul George take a step forward this year. You saw uh, Bradley Beal make a pretty significant step forward. Nikola Vucevic. Like, there, there are real ways to improve mid and late even into your career. So writing off Jerome is definitely, you know, it's definitely too early to do that. Uh, that said, I'm still not a fan of the pick. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely know you are not. Um, and like you said, I mean, Jerome, 
Jerome's not a bust. I don't want people to think that we think he's a bust. Not nothing of the sort. He's he's not a bust. He's he's still a rookie. He's shown some flashes. He was still a lottery pick, you know. <laughs> lottery picks that don't show much in their first year. It's usually tough. The toughest thing with Jerome really is that we have Lou for this incredible deal for two more years. And there's just not much justification to play him as a playmaker over Lou. And if we have Lou, it's like if I don't know how great those two particularly play together. Though I guess, you know, small sample size and we've seen Jerome being timid around Lou and just stand in a corner or stand at an angle and do nothing else. And, you know, if he's not taking shots, making shots, he's kind of useless on offense in that sense. He's much better used as somebody who runs like some pick and rolls and finds bigs just like he did with Trez yesterday. Um, So that's the biggest knock against Jerome. I don't think he's useless by any means. And if he can be a decent defender, then even more so. It's just a tough situation for him, especially, you know, Shamit is our shooter. Shea is our just do-it-all defensive two-way guard. Lou is our scorer, and Beverly is our tenacious defender. And those are like the check marks you hit on your guard spots. And we have somebody like Jerome, who's not bad, but just isn't better than any of those guys at any of those things. It's a tough spot for him. I was rooting for him. I'm glad he did well yesterday. It's still, I still can't believe he got double-digit minutes, but I can't. It's a tough situation. Sabrina mentioned it too. It's just a tough. It's a tough situation for him. So, yeah, I think we can go from that guard to another guard, Landry Shamit, who I kind of wanted Sabrina to talk about a little bit because she kind of turned us both on, or you know, maybe shined a little bit more of a light on the idea of Landry Shamit as an off-ball shooter in one of our Clips Nation articles, and that's been really shown incredibly in this series. Shamit hit three threes yesterday, a couple huge ones that were just those momentum pulling threes that J.J. Redick used to hit. But no more J.J. Redick talk because we're about to talk about his defense. Sabrina, how how surprised are you at how well Landry Shamit has been guarding Curry, a.k.a. the Curry stopper? (laughs) Yeah, I I didn't know that Shamit had this in him. I mean, I remember looking up the isolation defensive numbers earlier this year and just thinking that it was just a – really small sample size kind of thing, but Shamit looks good because right. nothing in his physical profile suggests that he's, you know, a very, you know, capable defender, but he's just maybe because his offensive game is predicated off of coming off screens and he's really smart at reading those on defense. So he did a job coming off those when he's covering Clay Thompson. And I can't, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that he's like stopping Steph or stopping Clay, but I do think the major defensive adjustment of the series was putting Shamit on Stephen Curry, and that's enabled us to at least slow him down. And I really thought the only person on the Clippers that would be capable of doing that was going to be Beverly, but Shamit's ability to stay on Steph has enabled Pat to stand Kevin Durant. And that's, I mean, that's allowed the Clippers to at least be in these games because they've been holding the Warriors to a reasonable amount of points. And I didn't see that coming. I'm, if he has like this potential for defensive improvement, then that just completely opens up an entirely new possibility of what kind of player Shamit can be. And that's, that's really exciting because, again, he's just a rookie too, and we have him for three more years on this contract. Oh, man. What a steal. Yeah, really, really, <laughs> incre- really incredible stuff. And, you know, we kind of talked about through the season too. I think a lot of Shamit's fumbles has been the idea of he doesn't know where to go positionally in the scheme of a team defense, especially he blew a ton of assignments and would miss people on cuts. But with Steph, it's like he's just – 
he's just playing one guy and he's almost playing him like he would play himself, which is insane. Like exactly. all this, when you think about Shamit on Steph, it's so weird to think about, but it makes a lot of sense. Steph isn't really this overpowering guard, but Shamit really gets screwed over on. Um, he obviously could bust Shamit off the dribble if he tried to, but he spent so much time getting free. And if, if it becomes a Steph show where he gets the ball and goes into ISO mode, that's not really Golden State Warrior basketball. Same thing with giving uh, KD the ball to run OKC basketball. Unfortunately, that's a bit that, that's still unstoppable, and he's been doing it a lot this series. <laughs> um, but Shamit has been a revelation. He hit some big shots. You know, he hasn't had a great, great series offensively, but what he's done on defense, it's been a really great Shamit series, probably better than what we saw from a lot of Red, old Reddick series. Uh, Rob, Shamit, I mean, how impressive has this kid been? We talk a lot about Shea this past game, but Shamit, you know, even though he hasn't hit a ton of threes, he's impressed me a lot this series. I completely agree. I think, like Sabrina said, really the best adjustment the Clippers made was putting him on staff uh, the entire series. So Jermichael starting is a good adjustment. It probably came a game too late. Um, But definitely Shamit's defense has been great. Uh, I've been impressed all season with his passing. He does need to get sharper as a ball handler in creating off the dribble. Uh, But some of the shots he was hitting yesterday, he was, you know, taking them off the dribble, stepping right into rhythm for threes. I think they were fairly open, but still, they were tough shots, and he was just absolutely cashing them. When he shoots, every time he shoots, I think it's going in. Man. Um, every time he rises up, he already has one of the best shot forms in the NBA. Really, Steph and Clay might be the only two who have just pure shot. I mean, you could argue, like, J.J. or Kyle Korver, but, like, he's already in that category as a shooter, Man. which is insane. I think, I think, I think Shamit getting a three, an open three, is like the most exciting thing that can happen in a Clippers offensive set. Entire, and the totally. great thing is, is like Staples already recognizes it. As soon as so he great. Out, yeah. everybody starts to like stand up and cheer. <laughs> so um, good. Yeah, it's awesome. And, you know, knowing that he's going to be around for years to come, hopefully, uh, is crazy. he's going to be much loved at Staples Center because his threes really bring the house down. Um, I will say that the J.J. Reddick comparison is apt in that he's also been largely shut out on offense in this year. (laughs) You know, all three of his threes happened in the third quarter yesterday. He was completely shut out the rest of the game. Yeah. Game three and game one, he couldn't do anything. And then game two, he got loose a little in the second half when Lou and Trez and even Gallo, to a lesser extent, were really rolling and he was able to get free. But – it's, again, the same J.J. Redick syndrome where they're really good and really valuable, but you can also kind of game plan for them and scheme them out, and we've seen that a lot in this series. Now, he's a rookie. He can work on stuff that J.J., you know, wasn't able to do because he was spent, you know, a decade becoming the shooter that he was. Shamit can work on those off-ball skills and, you know, on his passing and his ability to take himself out of double teams and all these kinds of things that J.J. really couldn't do. And he's also bigger than J.J. was. But mm-hmm. it's still something that players of that archetype aren't necessarily great playoff players. At least we haven't seen it. You know, Clay Thompson is kind of an exception just because he's so big and because he, he's also a great defender, which is where the Shamit stuff comes in. And even if he gets kind of shut out on offense, if he can be a plus defensively, then obviously it's worth playing him because the attention he attracts offensively with JJ, he would get mercilessly attacked defensively. And, 
you know, if he wasn't providing you anything offensively, it was like, why do you play him? It's already happened a couple times for the Sixers in the playoffs against the Nets. I think next series uh, could be really rough with him going up against Danny Green on both ends. Yeah. Um, Though he's had experience with that. Yeah, he's a lot of contests (laughs) against Danny Green. Mm -hmm. Um, But lots of Western Conference playoff battles and and just regular season too. But, um, you know, I think that is worrying for Shamit, but I think the defense and the size and just the fact that he's a rookie and already doing this is really promising. Um, Yeah, I mean, him and Shea together, it's a very good combination. They they fit together really well, Uh, much better than Shea and Jerome do actually because, you know, as we mentioned, Jerome needs the ball in his hands. So. (laughs) <laughs> no, I think politically all three of them could play together. What well, Sabrina? What Sabrina has a take? No, I just like um, the like what you said earlier about how Jerome like should be worried because Shamit so easily passed him in the rotation when he came over from Philly. It's just I feel like uh, stylistically he's a lot more comparable to the way Shea plays, right? So yeah. the fact that Shamit passed him is just because Shamit fills that role that nobody else on the team. Yeah, did, you know, I, that's a fair point. Yeah, you know. I agree. I yeah, mean, I, mean, I think. The issue for me is, like, just, you know, the type of Lou Williams, like, if you're going to compare him to Lou, like, you need to be really good at that to be a positive player. Yeah. Um, because those types of archetypes are not necessarily the best, at least in the modern NBA. Who knows? Things could shift. But, like, you know, one of the reasons Lou has been underrated is people generally think, like, these scoring guards who are not star-level players in terms of, like, scoring or shooting or any one area – are not necessarily positive players. Now, Lou is because he's so good offensively. But, I mean, I think Jerome could be better defensively. I just really worry that if he's not a really good offensive player, I just don't know how much value somebody who's not great at any one thing is. Um, yeah, Lucas gave me a trajectory for uh, Jerome uh, Robinson when we were texting yesterday. And it was C.J. Wilcox to Austin Rivers to Lou Williams. And... Mm. Austin Austin Rivers thinks he's the best player on the planet 10 years ago. Like he is <laughs> the most confident dude I think I've ever watched play basketball. And I watched Michael Jordan, man. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> I think the biggest difference is that Austin Rivers first step is unbelievable. Oh, that's true. Um, the fact that he can't do anything with it because he's a horrible finisher on the basket right, right. is a different issue. And yeah. Jerome is bigger than Austin. Um, and I think that will help him in terms of finishing. But, like, Austin can get by anybody. And he has a much better handle, and he came into the NBA with a better handle. But, like, his first step is one of the best first steps in the entire NBA. Um, it really is. Like, it's so quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jerome just does not have that. If anything, I think Jerome moves fairly well, but I think he actually has a very s- slow first step. Though so that could just be because his handle is a little underdeveloped. Um, yeah, but starting off at CJ Wilcox is not great. <laughs> really, not hey man, great. we he played. Maybe we could have used him against the Warriors. Remember that one game? Oh my god, <laughs> god. But uh, you know, one thing about Jerome, he can shoot from anywhere. He can, and it was nice to see him hit those mid range shots in that last game against the uh, the Jazz. You know, that's something he can maybe. Because off pick and rolls, you'll be given that mid-range shot. Tobias Harris was really great at utilizing the mid-range game as far as his pick and roll play. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was nice. That's nice to see. Uh, just, I don't feel like talking about Jerome that much. Yeah. Has, what, has, like, I guess before we go on to questions, like just what do we think happens in game five probably? Unless you guys have stuff to say about four or any of the other players. I think. I'm, I mean, I think we've touched on it. Green played, 
I think Green was a great move. He didn't shoot maybe as much as he could have, but I thought he played very competently, guarded Durant well. Chandler is Chandler. Outplayed Gallo somehow, but was still <laughs> he's still just a ball stopper, and uh, he dribbles too much, and it's frustrating. Temple was still good, like he always is. You know, he, he only played nine minutes or so, but that's, there's really not much else to say. I think you guys, I think we've covered most of it. Any, Sabrina, do you have anything else to say about this game? No, other than a, just a major game five adjustment would just be taking away those Watson Chandler minutes and letting Green, you know, eat like six or seven more minutes. Yeah. yeah I think it's been great, man. I think Green and Temple, like Temple has been a pretty much zero offensively, but so is Wilson Chandler and Temple is much better defensively. So I, I just, Doc is going to ride or die with Wilson Chandler. I think like just have to accept that, but it's, it's frustrating. You know don't why we knew this we what knew this would the love affair it's not a, i don't understand. it's not as bad as paul pierce but it's it's pretty bad i don't i really don't know because he's not a former doc player which is always the knock against him with like avery bradley and stuff I, exactly I think so where does the affection come from it's it's baffling i it really it really is i don't i mean yeah i, I really can't explain know. it he's just like a respected veteran i guess he's been around he's a guy who the clippers wanted forever and could never mm-hmm. get Maybe that's why. Leftover remorse. Like, now they have him. They feel like they need to play him. But it is really, really baffling. He's by far the worst player in their 10-man rotation. And Ooh, worse than Jerome Robinson. <laughs> I think I would rather play Jerome in the series. Yeesh. Um, but, I mean, I was talking about Zubats, actually. Oh, uh, Zubat. Yeah, what about, what about Zubat? I was the, fine the... with him not getting minutes. He's much better than Chandler, but it's not a series for him. It's not a series for you. Yeah, it's yeah. not a series for Zubat, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, he's, I agree. He's I'm not he's worried good. about him. It's the it's Warriors. Dri- his hands are screwed up. It's fine. Yeah, it's driving down his price a little bit too. So hopefully he won't be that <laughs> that that uh, hard to keep uh, for the next couple of years with his next contract. Yeah, I think we can get to Twitter questions. No, yeah, quick. Did we want to just say quick predictions for Game Five? Oh, uh, the Clippers lose. <laughs> you know what? I think it's going to be a close game, and the Clippers lose. I don't know about close. Yeah. I think it might be kind of like game one <laughs> sure. where it's competitive. I don't know if it's like close. As Maybe in, competitive like, is a better word. I think they probably lose by like 13 or 14 points or something, but are like kind of in it for some of the fourth quarter, which is fine. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I, I think the Warriors are going to win comfortably, but not in blowout fashion. That's all we can ask for, really. Yeah. For the most part, yeah. I really I really want Gallo to have a good game. Probably, at this point, honestly, maybe even more than any of the young guys. So, I mean, obviously, the young guys playing well is most important. I just, I want Gallo to be good. <laughs> yeah, me too. Poor Gallo. Um, okay, two other questions. We only have a few. I know Sabrina needs to go, so we'll try to go through these quickly. Um, the first question is from my dad, who asks, um, should we continue to start Gallo or cut his minutes? He seems to be exhausted. Uh, I think my dad has, I've talked about this with him. He thinks that Gallo has been so healthy this season. He's played so many minutes that he's actually tired because <laughs> he's not used to playing this many minutes. <laughs> um, I don't think that's really it. I just think he's cold. I, I think you have to ride or die with Gallo. Um, you know, yeah, I probably absolutely. would have played him a little less in game four, but like Wilson Chandler is a better option. Like I think theoretically you could go, Green and Trez at the four or five and bent, but like they're not going to do that, and really they shouldn't. You know, he got them this far. So. I agree. I, I I would some. I think some Clipper fans have maybe been calling to bench Gallo. That's absurd. Like, it's, yeah, he's been great all season. 
And I wouldn't be surprised if he had a great game or a crappy game this next game. Like, he's he's still – Gallinari is our best overall player, and you got to ride with him. So, I'm fine with exactly. playing him. Yeah. Okay, yeah, next He's question. the guy who got us here. Yeah. Yeah. The next question from at your boy Young Trill. Is there a scenario where the Clips can get both KD and Kawhi while also retaining Pat Beverly? Um, possibly. I'm not a huge salary cap guy. And, like, again, like, I've been more focused on, like, the games and, like, potential offseason stuff. But, like, I think they can – if they sign Kawhi or KD and then trade some players for cap space and then sign the other, I think they could retain Pat Beverly, but – and he'd probably have to take a discount. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think the only way it really works is, like, a veteran's minimum or they have part, like, of an exception left over, but – He's not getting money to save the Clippers. Yeah, do they have like the bird rights on Bev? Can they go over the cap quite a bit to keep him or any of that jazz? I, I'm not. But I don't know. To, they'd have to keep his cap hold, which they probably have to renounce if they were right. going to sign Kawhi and Katie. Right, yeah. right, Unless right. they like manage to get rid of some. Actually, I don't think they can get rid of salary by trading away Gallo because that would mean getting rid of Lou or Trez. So that doesn't yeah. seem like it's going to happen. We're not. We're not getting KD. So. I think people can just kind of put this aside. I really yeah. don't think they're getting KD. I don't think so either. I mean, he's been very polite and respectful towards the Clippers, but I think I think that's just what it is. Like, I know he and Lou are kind of tight. Well, I think Lou is tight with, like, everybody. But... Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Sometimes a little too tight with some people. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think he's coming. And Kawhi, we were talking about this yesterday. I mean, I don't know why Kawhi would leave, like, unless he really wants to go to L.A. I mean, the Raptors are really good. (laughs) And Siakam is really good and still young enough to get better. Um, Like, I guess Lowry's their second-best player right now, and he's getting up there. But, like, Siakam is right there. The East is still worse than the West. Um, I I mean, basketball-wise, I don't know why he would. Like, I mean, Shea, Shamit are very promising. But, I mean, we'll see. Hopefully Kawhi comes because he's been incredible in the playoffs. He's so good. Yeah. Uh, so the next question from Whammy Giveaway. During the Lob City era, there were three chances for a rematch, but that never happened between the Warriors and Clippers. Do you think a rematch with Lob City would have been a better series or because of how the Dubs destroyed the Clippers totally lopsided? What makes this rematch better than a Lob City rematch? The Lob City teams just were completely in their heads about the Warriors. They would never have stood a chance in a playoff series. I think I think had we got them after the Rocket series, it maybe would have gone six, and it would have been an exciting yes. series. Just because we were just fresh, we just freshly beat them the year before. You know, we had an idea of their players. They weren't quite, yeah. you know, quite ready for the big time. You know, they struggled against the Cavs briefly. They struggled against the Grizzlies. I think that would have been a fun series that the Clippers would have lost, and it would have like really it really would have put a lot of our minds at ease about the Clippers going forward. Instead, we're all these insecure little brats, and we're just like, well, what if they would have drawn the Nuggets? Then they would have beaten the Blazers, and then they would have made the Western Conference Finals. Like, who cares, man? Like, they're having a great series. But I'm one of those people. Like, I do think about that. I think that they could have maybe made the Western Conference Finals had they been on the other side of the bracket and then gotten slaughtered by by the Rockets or the Warriors. I think like that still, but if, if we got to the Western Conference Finals that year and showed and like had a nice matchup against the Warriors, I'd be so much less insecure. <laughs> yeah, but I I agree with that. But I think, I think that's the perfect time too. Yeah, it would have been, yeah. been a massacre um, because that was before the the Clippers. Like, I mean, before the Warriors had figured out the death lineup. That's, yeah, that's yeah. when you want to face them. Yeah, no, I mean, I think 
you know, they could have had a chance that's, you know, and making that a good series, but 2016, 2017, they would have been annihilated. Oh yeah. We would have been terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And then this, this rematch, I think this is better because, you know, like I tried to get this in the question to Durant yesterday, but you know, this is like the Clippers young guys. This is like their series. This is about them more than anything else. And it's good for them to get these reps against a team like the Warriors. And they see how teams defend in the playoffs, how hard, you know, these guys play how focused they are. Um, so I think this is this is better than the Lob City rematch. I love watching, you know, Pat Beverly fight and pester and, you know, do whatever he does to try to bother Kevin Durant, which really hasn't worked. I mean, that was kind of like a storyline. I, I, you know, outside of the, you know, the game one where the ejection is, you know, whatever. But I think this is much better than Lob City rematch would have been. Yeah, definitely. Especially if we if we would have gotten them later, there was you know some optimism right before everybody got injured for the Clippers in that Portland series yeah. when Curry was hurt that maybe we could draw. There was like a twenty four hour window. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, where there was some optimism, but then everything fell apart. <laughs> um. Yeah, and then I think the next question. I think there are two more from Edgar Smith. Uh, should Jerry consider trading Gallo in the offseason for more cap space? Uh, he's simply not a playoff guy, kind of like Kyle Lowry. Well, I think the last part is unfair. Um, And also Kyle Lowry has mostly kind of been good in the playoffs the past few years. Um, So I I don't know about that. But, I mean, I think if they can get a second superstar player, like I think they will try to trade for Cavs. Right, (laughs) right. Just do it just to do it. No, like, you know, if if Kawhi's coming and then you get somebody else, sure. But Yeah, yeah. If Kawhi is coming because, in, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, they don't have any young guys like to fill that role, like who are being blocked out by Gallo. So there's not really any advantage to clearing out that roster spot. I'm fine with Gallo, honestly. If we can't, if we can't trade Gallo for somebody like huge, like a huge upgrade, I'm fine with running it back with Gallo, letting his contract expire, and maybe look into 2020 for uh, exactly for someone else. So. Yeah, yeah, that's my take. I agree. Kind of related question from at Clip City Two. Last question, not really a question, but maybe if you could think of some hypothetical trades, uh, if the Clippers land Kawhi this summer, i.e., Gallo, Jerome, Miami pick, Philly pick, Pistons second, own 21, 21 pick for Anthony Davis. Um, in terms of trades, I don't think there are really that many guys out there. Uh, you know, AD obviously. I think Brad Beal is a possibility, but the Clippers have a ton of guards already. So unless they were sending a couple of their guards out, I don't know if Beal makes a lot of sense, even though he's really good and we'd be an upgrade. Like, I don't know if Gallo and Jerome for Beal makes much sense. You still have Lou, Shea, Beverly, you know, Shamit all on the team. Like, Beal's better than any of these guys, but, like, I just – I don't think that really makes sense. Um, I mean, I think AD, they're going to be in the running for him. What do you think, like, an AD package would look like? Gotta include um, probably the Miami pick. Yeah. Uh, Shea starts with Gallo just for salary matching, and probably Shamit and or another pick. Like, <laughs> do you think they'd have to do Shea and Shamit? I think they're gonna have to give two of Shea, Jerome, and Shamit. And who are we gonna pick? I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's the negotiation, lost. right? You start with Shamit and Jerome. <laughs> I think Shea is absolutely a must for New Orleans. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that with, makes... Uh, 
Yeah. Begs an interesting question. What is your cap now on what's before you said for me before it was give them whatever they want. But now, because I'm more emotionally invested, <laughs> what, what is our cap on a potential? I don't think Anthony Davis is coming to the Clippers, but theoretically, say if they, if they wanted him, if, they wa- if Davis said, I want to go to the Clippers, I love this young core, blah, blah, blah. What is our cap for assets for well, Davis? One of the problems is that the Clippers would have to trade most of their young core for Davis. Um, I think for me, it all depends on two things. One, if they get another superstar. And two, if Davis really not can't guarantee, but is like, I will resign here. Because so far, all the rumors have been that he doesn't want to commit anywhere. And if he won't commit, then they should not give up a huge package for him. They just shouldn't. Like, if he's not committing and they don't have Kawhi or somebody else, like, there's no way I'd trade Jay and Chandler for him. Um, you know, if they get Kawhi and Davis is like, you have Kawhi, you have Lou Williams, um, you know, you have... Pat Beverly, you know, we'll bring back Pat Beverly, you know, maybe Montrose Harrell, he might have to go in the deal, whatever, but like I'm in, then you have to think about Shea and Shamit, but even, (laughs) I think you try to do Shea, Jerome and picks and keep Shamit, but yeah. Yeah. Shea has got to be part of the package. It has to be. The Jason Tatum. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Gosh. All right. I have a Shea jersey though. (laughs) I have a Shea jersey. He's number two. And Kawhi is threatening that too. Anyways, whatever. <laughs> so, Kawhi think, would have to shift jersey numbers. Yeah, Kawhi can be 22 like Shea was in college. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Um, and is that it for Twitter questions? Yeah, that's it. And I, I don't think I really have too much else to say. I'm just, you know, I'm excited for game five, even though the Clippers are probably going to lose. And, you know, we'll just see, see how the season ends and then start looking ahead to the summer. Yeah, Sabrina, any takes, anything left to talk about? No, I think we just about covered it. Yeah, so I think that'll do it for this episode of The Law of the Gem. The podcast, as always, thanks, Sabrina, for coming in on this episode. Um, and give us a good rating on whatever you listen to us to. And as always, go Clippers!